back to Here to There, a podcast about commuting in and around the Twin Cities and where it could go next. From Apparatus and Transit for Livable Communities and co-hosted by Laili Fatahi and Laura Mann Ginsberg, Here to There brings you along for a variety of commutes across the many systems, neighborhoods, and modes available to Twin Cities commuters. In today's episode, we focus on the topic of employment and the ways it's quickly changing in the transportation arena. We begin the episode talking about ride hailing on a lift ride to Uptown, where our driver is, well, you'll have to wait and see, but it's not every day you find yourself in a car with a local celebrity. Then we head to the studio where we're joined by the president of Amalgamated Transit Union 1005, which represents Twin Cities transit drivers, operators, and support staff to discuss the challenges Metro Transit workers faced in the latest legislative session and where we go from here. To follow along with additional resources and information, visit heretotherepodcast.org and follow the H2T podcast hashtag on Twitter. And now, let's join the ride. Okay, is it here? Here it is. Hi. Hi. This is Laylee. Glad to have you join us for another commute. This time, it's Laura and I who are the commuters. Like the traditional workplace rejecting millennial social entrepreneurs that we are, our workday often involves commuting to some responsibly sourced coffee shop to plot the demise of the napkin industry. I mean, to meet with colleagues about transportation stuff. And when public transit can't get us there fast enough, we sometimes grab a lift. That's lift with a Y. So which would you rather do? Uh, I've got the lift open okay. right now, so. All right, let me turn on the lift. Do you want me to be in back, or do you want me to be close to the, okay. And let's see if it works. Does that voice sound familiar yet? So, spoiler alert, we hopped in our lift. Who could it be? Back in our ears. Hello, Barb. Hi. How are you? I'm great. That's our driver, Barb, as in beloved Twin Cities DJ, Barb Abney. We were really excited to ride with her. We're really excited to ride with you. See, told you. This is fun. You get to hear how I yell at traffic. <laughs> it's a dream come true, really. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's like, oh, I'm getting paid to drive people around and let them hear how angry I get at cars. Unlike taxi cab services that employ their drivers and own their own fleet of vehicles, Uber and Lyft are transportation network companies that provide a service known as ride sourcing. These companies do not hire drivers as employees, but rather contract them individually to drive passengers using their own personal vehicles. There are hundreds of thousands of Lyft and Uber drivers in the U.S. We asked Barb how she became one of them. When did you start driving? The second week of September, the day I got let go from my most recent full-time radio gig, my best friend and I had been talking uh, in the days leading up to that about how I'd never done the drunken brunch thing, you know? And I'm like, I don't think I've been drunk during the daylight hours since I was 16. So I called her, I'm like, well, I got fired. And she's like, okay, tomorrow we're getting day drunk. I'm like, all right. So the next day, her husband dropped us off at Muddy Waters and we started drinking around noon. It was nice and we were sipping shandies and having appetizers. And then about three o'clock, somebody walked up to me and they're like, are you Barb Abney? And I'm like, I am. And they turned their phone around. They were FaceTiming with a friend of mine from Florida who bought me a shot and then you know some other friends showed up and started buying me shots and at six o'clock I'm like I need to run to the ladies room and as I was coming 
you know, back to the table. I'm like, yeah, the alcohol like kind of got to my head. I'm like, it's time to go before I make a fool out of myself in public. So he called an Uber. And when he picks us up, she's like, she got fired. Oh, you should do what I do. I make $1,500 every week. And I'm like, oh my God, I should do what you do. What is this radio thing I've been doing all this time? So the $1,500 story is definitely like a big fish story, I think, because I haven't come close. Maybe if you drive every bar rush, you can do that. But the bar rushes are my least favorite time to drive. How much the average Lyft or Uber driver makes is a matter that's very unclear and widely debated. The companies have generally kept this data private. In 2015, Uber commissioned a study that showed its drivers earned an average of $17 an hour. But those who reviewed the study dispute its findings as inflated, especially since they didn't take into consideration expenses like gas, insurance, vehicle maintenance, and vehicle depreciation all of which, as independent subcontractors, drivers must pay for themselves. And speaking of vehicle depreciation and maintenance, you can't drive Lyft or Uber with just any old beater. It took two weeks. I had to get my car inspected and do all the paperwork and send a bunch of pictures to Uber and Lyft because I'm like, well, go big or go home. So I applied for both of them at the same time. And on the same day, I got okayed to drive for both of them. And I started the next day. Another contested issue is whether being an independent contractor is advantageous or disadvantageous for drivers. On the one hand, some argue that independently contracting drivers is a way for Uber and Lyft to avoid having to comply with federal labor laws and other regulations that entitle employees to minimum wage, workers' compensation, unemployment benefits, and the right to organize unions. In fact, the latter is an issue currently in court. There's also concern about the impacts of Lyft and Uber on the taxi drivers, as well as public sector drivers like bus operators. I, I do see how it makes life a little rough for cab drivers. And I also have heard from cab drivers who, after they do their required shift, drive Lyft or Uber in their own car. What about professional drivers like bus and transit drivers that may perceive that their ridership is down and therefore maybe their jobs are in jeopardy because more people are using the convenience of a on-demand ride versus working around a bus schedule. No, I can see that. I don't I don't think that especially in like this city, I think that the buses are still going to run because there are people I mean there every day I have somebody get in my car that says, oh, "I've never driven ridden Uber or Lyft, you know." There are still people who have flip phones who are never going to put their credit card on a phone. Buses are easier and they're significantly cheaper. It's just that this is the next best thing to having, you know, your own car or a limousine. As you'll hear from the head of the Transit Drivers Union in the second half of this episode, Barb may be right that Uber and Lyft are not currently competing with transit services here in the Twin Cities. Whether this will remain the case is another significant uncertainty. However, some other cities like Philadelphia are piloting collaborative programs between their transit services and Uber to solve the so-called last mile problem, using the private rideshare service to get people to and from public transit stations. Other cities like Detroit, however, have seen anti-transit groups succeed in blocking funding for transit by arguing for Uber as a more cost-effective solution. We could do a whole 10 episode series just on this issue alone, but in the interest of time, we've posted additional information about it on our website, heretotheirpodcast.org. 
Turning back to Barb, she tells us how Uber and Lyft provide a type of work that is of particular benefit to those for whom flexibility is important. Is this kind of the, your full-time thing now, or is this something you're fitting in among other... This is mostly my full-time thing. I have a gig every Wednesday at Hell's Kitchen, which has really helped out. I also DJ for the North Star Roller Girls, but that's off-season now. I DJ weddings and parties, and I'm open to so much more, and I am constantly looking for the next best fit, but I'm not comfortable taking a $13 an hour office temp job right now. So I, I make better money doing this and I meet more people and I've done quite a bit of networking in my car. I had one day where I worked 13 hours. It was my um, biggest non-holiday day. And I had, not kidding you, I made $195 in regular stuff and I had a $100 tip. Wow. It seems like the kind of flexibility that this would provide is kind of ideal for, you know, somebody who works in an industry that's kind of gig-based. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's my joke. I'm like, I, I, I work in the gig economy right now. I'm just like a musician. It's like, okay, when will I be able to make rent? Okay, if I drive $150 today and, you know, I have my gig at Hell's Kitchen, it's a different way to think. Barb isn't the only recognizable person driving for Lyft and Uber. Something to keep in mind if you usually don't look up from your iPhone for the whole ride. I have friends in the music world that are doing it in their spare time. And it's like, I'm like, do people know who you are? And they're like, nah. I'm like, do you tell them? They're like, nah. It's like, if I was singing, they might figure it out. And they're like, do people, and people do figure it out because of my voice. And that's fine. I haven't had anybody say, well, I hated you anyway or anything like that. There are people that will like get out of the car and they'll say, I just want you to know I miss you. You know, it's a very Minnesotan thing. They don't want to, you know, be pushy and stuff or, and then there are people who celebrate who do know me and you know, we sit and talk about music the whole ride, which is awesome. And I, I try to make it whenever I've got a conversation going with anybody, I'm like, so what do you listen to? What are you into? Cause I, I'm always about music discovery, you know, and you never know where you're going to find your next favorite thing. We asked Barb to share some of the challenges of driving for Uber and Lyft. I have noticed places where there were, like the airport used to be at 9 o'clock in the morning. There were 45 people in queue at the airport or around the airport waiting to pick somebody up. And now there's 90. I've noticed the glut of people that are all kind of around the big hot spots. And it's a lot more than when I started in just September. Wow. I try to take two days off a week just for my sanity and for the life of my car. But I've put like 40,000 miles on my car since September. Really? For real. Yeah. That's crazy. I was driving about 200 miles a day and you know, you learn all these tricks. It's like, okay, the better place to drive to to try to pick somebody up. And I try when I drop somebody off to, if I can't stop, if there's no parking in the immediate vicinity, I try to find some place nearby and just stop because nine times out of 10, if I drive off and head back towards the cities, I'm gonna get called right back to where I just, the same area that I just left. 
We also asked Barb if there are any particularly challenging types of passengers. I don't like to deal with the uptown drunk crowd at 2 o'clock on a Friday or Saturday night. I've tried it. Uh, there's too much woohooing and screaming for me. And, oh my God, you need to listen to some real music. Turn some hip hop up on in here. Which begs the question we know you've been hoping we'd ask. We were going to ask you if people ever complain about your, I would think this would be the luckiest car to ever get in. Well, and the thing is, I have Sirius. I don't actually listen to much FM. I listen to um, a lot of KFAI if I'm going to listen, or NPR News if I'm going to listen to radio, radio. But otherwise, I just don't think that there's anything on the dial that I want to hear. But then this weekend, I picked up three girls in Uptown. And when I pulled up, they're like, hey, can, can we drink in your car? And it's like, no. Okay, so we're going to put our beer in, in your trunk. That's fine. And then, can I, can I play Drake in your car? I said, well, I mean, I'm sure we can find it on Sirius, but my aux cord got ripped out. And it did. Somebody had plugged their phone in so they could play their music. And then they yanked out the aux cord instead of unplugging their phone. And it took the inside of my port with it. So... I have to go to the dealer and have that fixed, and it's not my number one priority. So I can't do, I can't sync your phone up to what I'm listening to, and you know, so we can listen to it. But I had these girls get in, and this girl, every time that she would turn a station, I showed her, this is volume, this is channel, whatever you want to hear. And every time she would turn the station to a channel, she would turn the volume up two notches, to the point where it was this loud. I'm like, um, listen, I don't care what you listen to, but you're not taking my speakers out with you. I'm sorry. Okay, well, they wanted to roll the windows down. Like, I had the air conditioning going, and they wanted to roll the windows down. I'm like, that's fine. Do you not like Drake? I'm like, Drake is fine. I'm just not a fan of auto-tune. But, you know, to each his own. Whatever you want to listen to, I have this. And she found, oh my God, you guys, it's an oldie. Oh my God, it's a throwback. And it's Creed. And I, I have prided myself on the fact that I've never heard an entire damn Creed song in my life that I've always had the opportunity to turn it off and here I was out on 94 East with Creed just blaring through my speakers and I'm you can't go fast enough to outrun those girls singing along to it it was a nightmare and another thing you might be wondering about well we'll just let Barb answer without even asking I have this bucket in my trunk if I do work nights I'll hold it up if somebody's super drunk gets in the car. And I'm like, you see this bucket? The twins gave this to me for free, but it's worth $250 to you. What do you mean? Well, I mean, if you throw up in my car, I'm going to pull over, kick you out, take a picture of it, send it to Uber. They're going to charge you $250. Give me $200. i am going to get my car clean for that tomorrow. But if you throw up in this bucket and rinse it out when we get to your destination, it'll cost you nothing. Now, I've never had anybody need the bucket to throw up in, but I've had a couple people, like, hover above it. And now a PSA for Lyft and Uber customers. Some of you are placing too much emphasis on the demand part of on-demand mobility. Your driver, like any service provider, is not subject to your unreasonable requests. As a related matter, they are subject to the laws of physics and the state of Minnesota. Be kind, courteous, and fair. You pull up on a street where there's no stopping or parking and they're nowhere to be found. And you call and you're like, hey, I'm here and I can't stop here. Uh, are you close by? I'm in Starbucks. Can you just circle the block? Sure. 
Or, you know, they'd run out to the car and they'd say, oh my God, I have nine minutes to get to class or seven minutes to get to class. And I'd look down and say, uh, it's going to be nine minutes. Oh my God, can you just hurry? So then those are the people that get give you a one-star rating because they overslept. And then, and I can't believe that here I am again being concerned about ratings. Um, it's kind of disgusting. It's, 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 yeah, in its own way. It's like, ha ha, here we are again. But I enjoy it. I try to be as nice as I can be without being obnoxious. Like, are you coming? Are you really going to come or what? But I'm not getting paid to sit there and wait. The more you know. But despite these challenges, Barb has no plans to stop driving. Do you think you'll keep it up or do you think that... I think even after I get, because that's what my mom's always asking me. Anytime I say, you know, well, I've got a job interview here doing this. She's like, will you keep driving? And I'm like, I think I will. Just because, you know, if I can't sleep at night, I can just go out to my car, go drive and make 20 to 100 bucks. I think that I would continue to do it at least on the side for a little while. Just until I have a, a, a little more of a sizable nest egg, an emergency fund. Because... I don't have an emergency fund right now. If my car broke down, it would be like end of days kind of tragedy for my family. In my mind, you know, it's like I, I would really be shuffling and scrimping and trying to figure something out. What are Barb's parting words to all of us Uber and Lyft passengers? I just try to be nice to people and I, that's all I expect in return. And, you know, when I get to actually have a conversation with somebody, I'm excited about it, you know, when they get out of the car and I'm like, oh, this is great. This was so much fun. Oh, thank you guys. This was a great time. Back in the studio, Laura and I are still talking about our uptown adventure with Barb. How cool was it to be driven by Barb Abney? When you realized that Uber officially launched in 2010, and even then it was just a service in the San Francisco area, and now we're using the word as a noun, as a verb, as Kleenex, it's really incredible to think how it's infiltrated our community and culture very quickly. You're right. It's really interesting to watch car hailing as a disruptor to longstanding systems, in this case, a taxi cab, and how that plays out in many different ways. Next, we're going to talk about employment in a very different context as we go to my conversation with Mark Lawson, who's the president of Amalgamated Transit Union Local 1005, which supports Metro Transit drivers, technicians, support staff, and other workers. As you'll hear, uh, the most recent legislative session brought with it the potential to disrupt a lot of employment for for Metro Transit workers, and that's unfortunately a, a recurring theme we've seen over the years. Well, it sounds like you delved into a lot of interesting topics, so let's tune in now. I am joined in the studio by Mark Lawson, who's the president of the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 1005. Thanks for joining me, Mark. Thank you. Glad to be here. Tell us a bit about the union. The Amalgamated Transit Union is primarily a U.S. and Canadian union, the international union, almost 200,000 transit workers in North America. Uh, Here in Local 1005 in Minnesota, the vast majority of our members work for Metro Transit and are the frontline workers at Metro Transit, the ones that you are most likely to see, you know, bus drivers, train operators, and also some behind-the-scenes folks like mechanics, cleaners, the fuelers, the office folks that give the transit information if you call in for that, or customer relations, or 
Other uh, clerical positions are also represented by ATU. We do have a few uh, members in the private sector that work for First Transit, a few here in the Twin Cities, and then also Rochester, Minnesota Public Transit. We represent the drivers and dispatchers there. So how is the labor market for transit drivers? The market for drivers has been tight. Uh, Metro Transit more recently has kind of caught up. They're much closer to even staffing on operators than they have been. Um, the labor market's not just tight for operators, also technicians, and Metro Transit continues to hire both. I think I see at least one article every day in the newspaper about transit funding in the Twin Cities. What's the source of all this uncertainty around funding? A lot of it's been created because of the budget proposals that were passed by the House and Senate. Both of the original proposals had sizable cuts. I mean, one of them from the House was 40 percent. I mean, that's not just cutting to the bone, that's cutting some of the appendages off. I mean, mm -hmm. literally, Metro Transit would have had to do away with dozens of routes and make drastic cuts. And obviously that was draconian. And, and they've recognized that just this week. They've backed off to a 10% cut to Metro Transit. The cuts, though, to transit seem uh, at odds even with within the bill because they have increased funding for some of the suburban uh, transit systems. So really this seems to be some sort of a political target on Metro Transit's back. You know, everybody's best guess, you know, the, I guess the worst kept secret about that would be the Southwest Light Rail line. And when you look through the, the bill, there's all these provisions that basically hamstring anybody as far as the Met Council or Hennepin County or any other governmental entity here in Minnesota from uh, stepping up to the plate and providing the local matching dollar so that the federal money can be leveraged to build the Southwest line. This is Laura. A quick update here. The transportation bill that passed and was signed by Governor Dayton ended up authorizing $70 million in new funding over the next two years, which will sufficiently cover Metro Transit's operating expenses to avoid service cuts to bus and light rail. The bill does, however, prohibit the use of state funds to pay for Southwest Light Rail's operating cost once that is built. As for the federal money Mark mentioned, again, that funding is needed to pay for construction of Southwest Light Rail and other metro area transit projects, but getting the money is contingent on a local match. With the state legislature refusing to provide that funding, Hennepin and Ramsey counties have both voted to increase their transportation sales tax to half a cent to cover the shortfall in the local match. The Metropolitan Council remains optimistic that funding will be approved despite a letter signed by a number of Republican state legislators asking Transportation Secretary Elaine Chow to deny the funding. For more information, visit the podcast website at heretotheirpodcast.org. Tell us about transit operator jobs. And I mean, I'm particularly curious about why labor shortages or losing drivers to things like Uber and Lyft are even a concern, given that these are good, high-paying union jobs. You know, yes, uh, these jobs are good jobs, good-paying jobs with good benefits, you know, the quote-unquote good union jobs. But especially when, when it comes to the transit operator job, it is a very challenging job. And here at Metro Transit, all operators start as part-timers. And so some folks, that's a you know impediment right out of the gate. And you have um, qualifications to be a commercial driver. You have to pass a health exam. You have to have the commercial license or you know, be able to get it and maintain it. Even if you're fine with starting off as a part-timer, it's a seniority-based system, so you know you're going to end up uh, working a lot of nights and weekends early in your career. So 
there are other types of driving jobs that appeal to folks more than that. Are you a bus driver yourself? I was a bus driver for 12 years um, from 1999 through the end of 2011 before I went to work full time for the union. And it is a difficult job managing a 15 ton vehicle and, you know, 40, 50 people on a bus or more on the larger buses and, you know, keeping everybody happy in, by the way, you know, Minnesota's wonderful weather that we Mm -hmm. have here, both hot and cold. And it's a very challenging environment. And I imagine there's even an additional layer of difficulty in special training for Metro Mobility drivers. Are labor shortfalls more of an issue for that service? Paratransit, which is what we call things like Metro Mobility, it is mandated by the ADA that the service exists. And transit systems kind of, the, the dirty little secret about them is transit systems really look at them as a burden because the service is expensive. And then the contractors hire uh, uh, drivers at a much lower pay and benefit level than, than Metro Transit drivers. So unfortunately, uh, and not in all cases, but unfortunately, because you know through this process of contracting and trying to do everything on the cheap, quality can be compromised. And almost every city you go to, larger cities, there's been uh, investigative television reports at one time or another about the quality and service provided by these paratransit operators. And when making a buck is the important thing for these private contractors. I mean, they have to make sure they skim off their X percent of the money. And the rest is, you know, there's only so much money to go around anyway. So it's just kind of a lose-lose situation. And the saddest part is the operators that do paratransit have a huge responsibility. They're working with some of the most vulnerable people in our society, and we're giving them primarily second-rate service. Does Metro Transit pull most of its workers from the same geographic areas that it provides service? Um, as far as Metro Transit goes, yes. That I don't know that that was always the case. So then is its workforce representative also of the region's diversity? Metro Transit, the last few years, the spotlight on diversity was really put on them. And they've responded by um, working to have a much more diverse workforce. The driving workforce at Metro Transit today is probably the most diverse workforce in state government. So any funding cuts that result in service cuts would also stand to impact the public sector unionized workforce that has the most people of color, correct? You know, if we were to have layoffs, obviously the the diversity numbers are going to go the other way. And speaking of jobs, the Chamber of Commerce for both Minneapolis and St. Paul have been very vocally supportive for transit funding, including for the expansion of Southwest LRT. Is that because their members also get labor and other types of benefits from having these services operating? The local chambers, and I think it's even more than just the Minneapolis and St. Paul, some of the suburban chambers as well. I, it seems to me that it's a big myth that's been propagated that the Southwest line is is not popular. It It is popular. There are some very vocal opponents. That happens in almost any large project of any type that's done. The reality of the fact is that the Southwest line has gotten approval from all the cities along the route. They all went through a process of hammering out how this was going to work and what it would look like. And 
you know, there's still details to be ironed out with the railroads and different things like that. That stuff usually comes together in these big projects. So even down in Eden Prairie at the end of the line, we saw uh, a Senate seat switch from Republican to Democrat in a race where Republicans ran away with the election in a lot of ways, but a seat that in a pretty purple area went Democratic when one of the biggest issues was the Southwest line. I mean, to me, this ought to send the message that people do care about the Southwest light rail line and that they are interested in this project being built. Let's talk about ride hailing and car share services. What are the disruptions that you're seeing in your sector resulting from these services? Are they affecting ridership? Yeah, I think a lot of this falls into the realm of speculation. At Metro Transit, we know that trunk bus ridership was down last year, and they don't really seem to know why. Um, The biggest connection in the past has always been the price of gas. If the price of gas is down, ridership on the transit system wanes a little bit, sometimes a lot. And, And sometimes you can see that with the commuter service. Now, some of that depends on construction impacts and a lot of other things, too. But there does seem to be some... Uh, ways in which the ride hailing services have impacted ridership. But I think, you know, I'm not familiar with somebody that's been able to get a good read on the actual numerics of that. What about um, impact on the labor pool? Are they drawing away drivers who perhaps otherwise would be transit drivers? No. From the things that I've read, the folks that I've talked to that drive Uber, If you're talking about it being your only source of income, it's a hard way to make a living. I know ATU and some other large unions in some of the large urban areas of the U.S. have had organizing drives among Uber uh, drivers and have, you know, multiplied thousands of them signed up and want to organize them. And it's probably destined to be sorted out by the courts whether or not um, they're going to be allowed to organize like, like regular employees or, you know, if the courts are going to go along with this idea that they're all independent contractors. Do you think these kinds of services could be complementary to transit service? So, for example, I'm thinking in areas where you have some of the higher marginal costs of running transit because you have lower densities, or even with light rail, can these services be used as a kind of microtransit to pipe people into the greater transit network? Yeah, the, the way that I hear this most often expressed is what's called last mile service. There are cities experimenting with that right now. Um, that has always been a concern in the more suburban areas that are spread out. I mean, this is a, a necessity created by the fact we don't really have walkable cities in these suburban areas, right? So the solution to that is, one, what you see where you see transit-oriented development going along, and we're seeing more urbanized areas that are walkable. But how do you deal with it for these areas that exist? You know, maybe they'll be part of the the solution. The The problem is that what we've seen them do in some other uh, cities, I believe it was Kansas City, if I'm correct, Lyft was involved with coming up with a scheme where they got together with auto manufacturer and they bought all these vans and they hired these drivers to operate the stuff. And it was all done outside of the transit authority district so that they could use non-union labor at, at these cutthroat prices. 
This is Laura again. The service that Mark is referring to is actually not Lyft, but Bridge, spelled B-R-I-D-J, which calls itself a pop-up transit service, actually called past tense, because now they've announced last month that they're closing up shop after the collapse of a, quote, deal with a major car company. That car company is rumored to be Ford, which did partner with Bridge in February of last year to provide on-demand bus service in Kansas City, but just seven months after that, signed a deal to acquire Bridge's competitor, Chariot. Pretty juicy stuff, but back to Mark. So do you solve one problem with creating really poor labor service jobs, you know, in, in the process? To me, that's not a real good solution. You know, as a solution for a career, it seems like these ride-sharing services or whatever you want to call them, they don't seem to be a good answer for that. Is there a way to develop or structure that kind of service where it's either provided by Metro Transit itself or otherwise is structured so that it has to be union labor operating the vehicles, even if they're smaller vehicles? Right. Well, obviously, it can be structured however you want to. And the way we've seen them do it is to try to do it in a way that provides the lowest cost and the highest profit margin. So if it can be done in, you know, in the public sector where profit margin is not an issue, maybe it can be structured in a way that makes some financial sense and is a benefit to everybody. We're seeing quite a bit of concern, I mean, across all labor markets for, you know, in terms of displacement from automation. And it seems like transportation is one of the areas that perhaps will experience that disruption in the much nearer term. Uh, Is this a concern for your members? It is a concern. You know, autonomous vehicles are all the rage now. There's multiplied millions of dollars being poured into this top, you know, this area by big technology companies like Google. And it's going on in multiple countries. I mean, China, they, within the last year, they debuted an autonomous bus. I don't know that it's being used in route service presently, but it was at least on a pilot project. Uh, Mercedes over in Europe has kind of an interesting take on the autonomous bus. They're using um, a version in Holland. It does not eliminate the driver. What it's basically done is try to leverage technology to make the driver's job easier and make the whole experience safer, um, which I think that's a good approach. There are lots of things, you know, as I mentioned earlier, driving the bus is a lot more than just driving a large vehicle. There, to me, needs to be some sort of consideration of the customer service aspect of what drivers do and the fact that drivers are all weather. How is an autonomous vehicle going to function in the middle of a blizzard? And you don't get a whole lot of opportunities to test that. You know, it seems to me that for the near term, you know, or longer, there's going to be a need for bus operators. So I feel like, you know, I spend a lot of time at the legislature working on issues where there are these really sharp partisan divides that attempt to pit Um, environmental protections and jobs against each other. And in those debates, you hear Republicans and range Democrats pretty unequivocally advocating in favor of just about any kind of infrastructure project, regardless of the public cost in terms of, for example, environmental cleanup, um, so long as that project creates, quote, good, well-paying union jobs for steel workers and pipe fitters and the construction trades, et cetera. 
Why doesn't that same willingness to expend public dollars to support union jobs extend to transit workers? Well, another notion about expense is that, you know, us union workers are real expensive. You know, here we are, you're sitting there making your union wages and union benefits, and this is costing our government a lot of money. Well, as somebody out there actually working, doing a very difficult job, all types of weather in Minnesota, I find that to be a little bit offensive. This is not some sort of a nebulous bureaucratic job that you're not sure what we're doing. I mean, our members are out there delivering a vital service to our community day and night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Do you have thoughts on what it is that our listeners or, you know, as a community, as transit users, what can we do to help protect transit options? Transit options is very important. I guess I like the term transportation options. Okay. Because this is really not just about transit. Transit is a key to transportation, just like roads are. And there's a lot of myths swirling around transit. Unfortunately, some some folks that maybe don't live in an urban environment or don't use transit systems, they kind of think it's expendable. Well, Metro Transit every day hauls the equivalent during rush hour of, of one and a half lanes of freeway. And this is not... A tra- you know, this is a piece of the transportation infrastructure that cannot be easily done away with and not with any kind of sensibleness. And not even to mention the fact that not every rider can drive a car, not every rider wants to drive a car, but a lot of Metro Transit riders do have cars available, you know, something at around 80% of them. And 80% of them are going to work or school, which are very important things. It's not like they're just you know, running down to the, you know, riding the bus down to the corner to buy smokes, you know, but, you know, there are some doing that too. But, you know, these are key things that make our world go around, people going to work and school, right? So to eliminate the transit system really eliminates a key part of transportation options. Well, as someone whose ideal mode of transit is the light rail, I thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Here to There is produced by Apparatus, Transit for Livable Communities, and Studio Americana. Your hosts are Laley Fatahi and Laura Monginsberg. Production and editing by Ian Levitt with Studio Americana. Original music supplied by Bubba Holly. No part of this podcast may be used or reproduced without express written consent of Apparatus. To join the ride, subscribe to Here to There at heretotherepodcast.org on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. While you're there, don't forget to leave us a review and rating. Stop by the heretotherepodcast.org website for additional content, including extended interviews, an interactive commuting story map, pictures and videos from our commutes, and much more. 